Welcome to the Intern Whisperer Live, the show all about internships and how to excel and do well. Remind your listeners you can call us live on the air. The phone number is 407-582-2906. You can also chat with us online through Interpursuit's Facebook Live Chat. Coming up on this episode of the Intern Whisperer Live, and the semester, looking for internships? Sign up with Intern Pursuit or contact Isabella at isabella at interpursuit.tech. Our guest, Eric Schur, Chief Strategy Officer, share for Sunrise Bank's mission, services, innovation, and what a day working as an intern would be like with Sunrise Bank. All right, so how can you find us on our social channels? You can look for Intern Pursuit on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and you can also follow our Intern Pursuit game on Facebook and Twitter, and then you can listen to us live on mixlr.com forward slash Valencia College Radio. Follow Intern Whisperer, and just so you know, listeners, that MixLR, it's going to be going away in another couple weeks here. So it's all going to be Valencia College Radio soon. You can watch us live on Facebook, follow Intern Pursuit, and you can call us live on the air. Again, that number is 407-582-2906, and chat with us online through Intern Pursuit's live chat. First off, we have our patron, Pixel Crawler. Pixel Crawler is a suite of tools that audits, monitors, and hysterically tracks the pixels implemented on your website. There are strong dependencies built on the consistency and accuracy of the data collected by tracking pixels, and Pixel Crawler will help ensure all data is being collected as intended. Their website is pixelcrawler.com. Thank you, Pixel Crawler, for being a patron of the Intern Whisperer. So our intern pursuit spotlight is all about our news. We want to invite students that want to work with any of our great employers to go to intern pursuit, go to our page and sign up and get registered to get matched. If you want to be one of our intern pursuit influencers or brand ambassadors, go to our career page for more information on those job descriptions. But you can find our job descriptions on Facebook. You can find it on Indeed. You'll see them in LinkedIn. You'll see them, of course, on our page and then in all of our social feeds and on Handshake, if you are a person that uses Handshake. We are inviting employers of all types and sizes to be part of our early adopter beta program. And early adopter employers are accepted currently. Um, you can contact me, Isabella, at internpursuit.tech for more information or peruse our website. So we want to welcome Eric. Thank you for being a guest on our show tonight. Yay. Thanks, Isabella. What a pleasure to be here. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So Melanie did lots of great research. She's a journalism major here at UCF. And so she was checking out Sunrise Banks and you. And so we're going to let her go ahead and kick off this first question. I'm going out of sequence just so everybody in the room knows. Oh, well, hello, Eric. Um, I actually want to ask you our first question, question is um, give a little background info. Our only 28% of Americans are considered financially healthy, according to a survey by the Center for Financial Services Innovation. Can you tell us common mistakes that most people make in their personal finances? Yeah, thanks. Um, and again, thank you for, for uh, welcoming me on the show. Um, when, when we talk about financial health and this whole notion of, of financial wellness, um, there's a misconception amongst some people that somehow um, people are not financially healthy because 
they fail to manage their finances well. What we find is we find that folks that are trying to make ends meet are actually very acutely aware of every dollar that's coming in and going out of their household budget because many times it's they're making really real life choices um, such as the difference between shoes for their children or dinner or the medicine um, and food and, and and their food budget. So, so um, got to say that that probably the most prevalent um, cause of of financial stress in the U.S. today is simply the fact that that most people are not making enough money to live in the area they are at a level that's comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that leads to kind of a vicious cycle because what you have is um, not, now you make it hard for individuals to take and save. In some cases, it's impossible um, or they'll sacrifice home life to take a second job. Um, further, it, it means that if, if, if expenses and income aren't timed appropriately, um, you find that folks start getting into payday, um, payday loan cycles or debt cycles that make it very hard to get out of. Mm-hmm. So when these unexpected emergencies come up, such as the flat tire on the car or, or, or the batteries, um, the batteries going on the car, um, those are expenses that sometimes are really, really hard to meet, um, and that leaves people struggling because their car gets them to their job, which creates their, um, which creates their livelihood. Um, but to answer your question, there is one, there is one thing that that most people, um, if they can take advantage of, really should, and that is if their employer um, offers a matching contribution to an individual retirement account. Um, I encourage um, all employers. To try to try to try to match um, the employer's match. In other words, yeah. if the employer matches up to three percent of the person's salary, find a way to get to that three percent contribution level, because your immediate return on that money is one hundred percent. Because your employer immediately doubles your money. Yeah. That is yeah. the, that is the easiest um, the easiest way to begin to build personal personal wealth. You know what? That's really good feedback because I think that most of the people in the room here are really young and they have not set up maybe even savings accounts or thought about that. So I think from a a student's perspective that this is really going to be information that most of them don't know and don't think about. So I think that's important. Yeah, it's just a very different time. You know, uh, I'll go back to my my father was a steam fitter um, from the day he got out of the Navy till the day he retired. And he worked for two companies, but he knew that he had Social Security and he knew that through his union he was going to get a pension. So his his retirement was laid out for him. And we're really in the age of, of you're on your own, um, the yo-yo economy. So you're your own um, insurance broker and you're your own investment advisor, um, which just makes it hard. And so so any way that you can simplify, particularly through employer employer benefits and any types of matches, um, certainly encourage folks to take as much advantage of those as possible. Yeah. And I also know that some banks, some banks offer, um, I don't think you guys know about this, Christmas funds. And that's so that people, if they're trying to save money to have uh, gifts for Christmas, they can go and put that in there and it gets set aside. There's like health benefits. So you can actually segment your paycheck in different ways so that it helps you to encourage, uh, it helps to create really good saving habits yeah. and also encourage, you know, lack of spending. You just divide up your funds in a better way as well. Yeah, buckets. Yeah. 
The good news out of all of this, though, with the other 72% who aren't considered financially healthy, what we're seeing in the marketplace is we're seeing a lot of financial technology firms or fintechs that are actually rushing to fill the void with some really unique, clever, low-cost, convenient, valuable offerings for individuals to help them to bridge some of these gaps instead of going to some of the more traditional um, solutions that were out there that are not only inconvenient but also extremely expensive. Mm. I'm going to kind of back up our questions. I know we didn't have one of them in sequence, so I'm going to give everybody a reference point. So I met Eric at an event that was put on by the Future School, and it's all about future thinking. What is our industry? What, are, what does our city, any of that look like, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years out? But when we were, st- we were sitting next to, next to each other at the event, and part of what our conversation came out of is they have a really great intern program that they're in the second year of having, so we're going to talk about that. But it was also about innovation and future think. And so that's where that conversation came into play. And I said, oh, he'd be perfect as a guest on our show because we could educate people about his industry, about what Sunrise Banks does. And Sunrise Banks is not local. So we're going to back it up a little bit. Hey, um, Eric, tell us about what Sunrise Banks um, specializes in, their niche, their mission. And you are chief strategy officer. What does that mean? Yeah, great question. Um, I'm figuring that out, um, and so when I when I get that figured out, I'll let you all know. Um, but my day-to-day role is, it really beats working. I have two facets to my role. The first is um, I oversee a division of the bank that extends the mission of the bank beyond uh, the metropolitan area. So as background, Sunrise Banks is a is a just over a billion dollar bank. We're located in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis, St. Paul, and Minnesota, and thankfully it's not snowing this week. Um, But we have been in business for about 100 years, and we have six branch locations that serve the urban core of Minneapolis and St. Paul. And we've been doing that, like I said, about 100 years. So so, um, it's been been immigrant populations new to the Twin Cities that we've served throughout our history. So 100 years ago, we were serving Italian, Polish, German, Irish immigrants. Today, our customer base is primarily Hispanic, Hmong or Vietnamese. And we are also the home to the third largest Somali population in the world. Wow. That makes up our retail customer base today. So our workforce reflects that. We have about 28% of the folks that live in low and moderate income in the low and moderate income communities that we serve. Um, Sunrise Banks is also a certified B Corp. So we've joined the ranks of folks like Ben and Jerry's and Patagonia and Kickstarter, where we measure our impact um, to people as well as profitability. Uh, so we measure it, and then B, the B Corporation comes in, and they certify that as well. So we're so pleased to um, to know that for the sixth year in a row, we are best in the world um, when it comes to social impact as well as financial performance. We also belong to the Global Alliance of Banking on Values. So we joined 55 other financial institutions worldwide that manage to a triple bottom line of people, planet, and prosperity. So we take sustainability into account as well. The, these are the things that we measure to fulfill our mission, which is to empower financial wellness. So it really speaks back to how do we how do we help um, promote financial health um, throughout our populations. So while the bank has six branch locations, my role is to take and extend that mission nationwide through our national charter, and we do that through partnerships with financial technology firms. Um, we do that with um, with check cashers. 
um, and we do that with um, with with in, in the prepaid space through program managers that we work with. Um, so we got into this into this nationwide business about ten years ago, and ten years ago to promote financial inclusion, the way you did that is you got somebody a prepaid card, and we got really good at that. And today we're um, we're the fifth largest issuer of prepaid cards. So we we really um, outbox ourselves. Um, in terms of the volume that we drive for as small of a community bank as we are. But what we're doing now is we are partnering with fintechs who are coming up with unique lending and payment solutions to help bridge some of those gaps. And the beauty of these of these firms is they are they're mission driven. So generally these folks know the market segment because either they themselves were a victim or their close family member or someone close to them has been. So they have intimate knowledge of the of the segment and the need for a financial product or service. And then they go off and they build one. And we are the bank on the back end. So we're the plumbing. We're the two-point mouse fund on the very back. We want our partners to stand out front and center with their products and services. And we are just we're just the plumbing on the backside. Because as a bank, we do one well, we do three things really well. We store, move, and lend money, we do it securely, and we do it compliantly. And that's what fintechs are looking for, as well as speed to market. So, so my team is all about the innovation space and looking at at that ecosystem of venture capitalists and um, and incubators and we work spaces. Um, and we're out there talking to folks, trying to find the next opportunity um, to find a niche to help promote financial uh, financial health. Wow, that's a lot. Did you guys have any idea of any of that? I'm asking Mel and also Jonathan that are in the space here. And I don't think you can see us, I'm going to guess. Yeah, yeah that's sad. Um, so do you know what FinTech is? I do not. All right. So you know what? They do not know what FinTech is. You might have to educate all of our listeners, too. Oh, you use FinTech. Have you? Do you have a PayPal account? I do. Okay. Have you made a transaction through Square? Stripe, Square. Stripe. I don't. I don't think so. No. Square. So have you had a have you had a, a, a vendor take and swipe a card through a little oh, square yeah. peg that's attached like to their cell phone? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. That's Square. Those are fintechs. Those are folks that um, that are taking technology to develop user experiences that provide greater convenience or accessibility at a lower cost um, than the way that banks and financial institutions have traditionally. Um, provided services before. Let me give you an example. We, one of our clients is a, is a company out of Austin, Texas called SelfLender, and they provide credit builder loans. So they, um, they have four loan products, and they're all based on, on, your, on your monthly payment. So if you can afford to make $25 payment, they will set you up with a $525 loan that's payable in $25 incre- increments over 24 months. There's an interest rate to that that's about 12%. When you get the loan, you don't get the proceeds. What happens is we will set up a certificate of deposit in your name. You make your $25 payment every month. That $25 payment goes directly into a CD that's in your name. We report your on-time payment to the credit bureau. So you start to build a a history of on-time loan payments to build your credit history. And at the end of that loan, you now have a CD worth $525 and a few cents because we share some of the interest that you pay to us. We share that back to you. So that's a way where, where we're trying to solve a couple of different issues. We're trying to solve the savings issue. 
at the same time we're trying to help people improve their credit score or establish a credit score in, in the event that they don't have one. And what's really fascinating is that's our use case. But I was at a conference and um, and there's a gal walking around and her her outfit caught my eye. Um, she was sponsor she was sponsoring a um, a, a sponsor uh, one of the conference sponsors and we were talking about that and I said hey you know we we uh, we work with self lender and she said I took out a self lender loan she said I use it as my Christmas club so Isabella as we were talking about that. <laughs> Um, and she said, yeah, I found it was four savings. And I said, yeah, but you're paying like 12%. And she said, yeah, but that's much cheaper than the credit card uh, interest rate I'm going to pay if I, you know, if I just put it on the card and had to pay it off over 12 months, which just made sense. So here's a gal who's looking. She knows she has a need, which is to save. And she's looking out there. Instead of taking a credit card, she decides that her best bet is to actually create a forced savings. And by the way, she was building credit history along the way. So that's an example of a, of, of a solution that we've helped co-create with that fintech to help um, solve one facet of, of, financial, of financial health. That's really, really interesting. So we have two other uh, people that are in the room, and they're both students that are stu uh, studying video production and editing. So they're going to be taking some little sound bites, and we're going to be putting that out into the podcast feed, just so you know. So all okay. four of them, the question to you guys is, do you have any credit history? Mm -hmm. um, any cards that are in your own name, not something that your parents got for you? Yeah, it's in my own, main, my own name. So you're establishing credit, Jonathan? Yeah. I don't even have a credit card, to be honest with you. Yeah, so see, now when it comes time for you to go and get a car, mm -hmm. you have no history of it. Corey? Right. Establishing credit right you are <laughs> establishing <laughs> an <laughs> Abby. <laughs> okay, Abby. I don't even have a credit card, and I don't even know. I mean, you know, credit yeah, works. I yeah. Credit yeah, so, you know, that's really great that you shared that, Eric, because we do have students that listen to our show, and what's really helpful is that they can listen to this show and be able to go, oh, there's products out there, there's services that can help us establish credit. And that for those people, like you were mentioning, some of your own customers in a lower or mid-economic, uh, economic where, socioeconomic level, then they would be able to establish their own credit also. Sure, and actually, we have a path for folks that are within our retail um, within our retail footprint. So, a lot of these folks again are immigrants; they don't even have a social security number, so they've yeah. got a an, uh, a tax ID. Um, so, what we'll do is we'll establish a very similar credit builder loan for them, so they can build up enough credit history, and then we will actually offer them a mortgage, an ITIN mortgage. It's called an ITIN mortgage, which stands for International Tax ID um, Number Mortgage. So, it will it allows it allows people a gateway to home ownership, which is, um, you know, if whether 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 Affordable you believe in home ownership or not, it still is probably the most reliable way to build household wealth in the U.S. today for the average citizen, oh, unless you have a trust agree. fund, of course. Which I agree. Okay, well, I'm going to move on to a new question here. Sure. Um, okay, so we had noticed that in one of your speaking events. You dis discussed a data-centric culture. In what ways are we failing to implement data into our society? This is a really complex question. Yeah, so this one, um, so this, this particular uh, uh, talk I gave was to, uh, was to uh, about 250 community-based financial institutions. Um, we see in the U.S. community-based financial institutions, so credit unions, 
and community banks fail at the rate of one per day. And this has been going on for the past 10 years. And this, and, and, and uh, the trends continue to suggest that this will continue to be the trend for the foreseeable future. So when I was out there talking to them, what, what the, the, big, the big crime in all of this is banks hold and produce and sit on a store of data that can create business insights to help them grow. But most financial institutions, unless you're the biggest of the big, just don't take time to actually make an investment in data. So my demonstration there was really to talk beyond the performance and beyond the profitability of the balance sheet and this income statement of, of the bank or the credit union to say, you know, there's a there's a lot more opportunity to use data if you just look around. And the example I gave in that talk was an operational process improvement. So, um, so that talk was very specific to financial institutions. The question when it gets back to individuals, particularly as it relates to personal financial health, is um, data, data can be used um, uh, um, both, um, both to motivate um, and to overwhelm. So, so the question is how much data is, is appropriate for, for individuals to actually be monitoring and what tools can they use to help them um, achieve some of their financial goals? Wow, that sounds like a whole mm. lot. Did you, did you guys get all of that? Yeah. yeah, because data, we know that we have to protect so much data, and I cannot even begin to imagine what a bank has to do to make sure they've got millions, well, hundreds of thousands of people that are customers, and then protecting all of those transactions, and then the data that's out there. I mean, we didn't even touch on that, but data is big money. No, we serve, so again, we're a community bank, but through our prepaid program, we serve over 30 million customers throughout wow. the U.S., and we, we sit on billions of transactions. So, um, so we sit on a massive data set ourselves, and the mm -hmm. question is, how can we begin to parse it and create business insights to help us move the business forward? Mm, that's really, really interesting. Uh, so in your career, you focus heavily on finances and its place on in the future. What developments are being spoken about now that you believe will be implemented in the near future? Yeah, um, you know, so as I as I talked about the one side of, of, of my role, that's really more the operational piece. The the fun piece is really where Isabella got to and I got to interact, and that's and that's really trying to characterize. So I characterize my work as looking at emerging trends. Um, in society and then trying to create possible futures around um, people's relationships with the value they create and they spend and they trade. So what I mean by that is if you take out a $10 bill and you hand it to a complete stranger over the counter, the reason you see that as being valuable is because you are going to receive what you perceive to be $10 worth of value back. Mm -hmm. The paper itself has no intrinsic value. But it's that level of trust that creates a currency. So when we talk about um, about emerging trends, it's really about people's attitudes towards how they keep score. And it's so intimate and it's we have such a deep and complex relationship with money because um, if you replace the word money with your most um, your most complex family member, you go through pretty much the same emotions over a period of time. Um, you know, it's frustration, it's panic. Um, you don't love it, but, you know, you get comfort. 
Um, and, and quite frankly, at the end of the day, the, the money serves as a scorecard of your contribution to, to society um, or to the economy, at least. Mm-hmm. So, so there's, there's, there's some element of scorekeeping that's going on as well. And so, so the work I do is to take and look at it from that point of view and say, all right, so what facets of value transfer and value creation um, and how do we spend it? What's changing? And, and the change comes through people's attitudes. So, you know, if you look at work, the nature of work, you've got the trends of robotics and artificial intelligence. And those two are really going to rise up to um, to probably disintermediate some occupations that that um, that have tasks that are just menial. And quite frankly, we welcome robots to do things like clean our bathrooms and um, you know clean out outhouses and maybe wash the dishes. Um, but the question is, over time, what's what is what is the future of work, and and what does that mean? And and so over time, we think that maybe we elevate as humans, and and our contributions are really measured less in the back uh, in in the back that we bring to lifting objects and moving objects, and really it's around the, the quality and, and value of our ideas. Um, so that's one aspect. Another aspect um, might be on the product side, where we're talking about personal financial management, where you've got this digitization of currency. So, so again, you've got dollars, but then you've got credit cards, and you've got loyalty points, and cash back, and miles. Um, you've got Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies that are out there. So the nature of currency itself is changing. You've got data that's being processed um, in in ways that just um, that have um, that have you know that that continue to um, to create just just uh, immense value for consumers. There's product intelligence through artificial uh, um, through artificial intelligence. You've got block <clears throat> excuse me. You've got blockchain and other ways to move money back and forth. You've got privacy and authentic authentic authentication concerns, and then you've got this whole notion that your whole life sits on a phone that's mobile. You can do most anything, anytime, anywhere. So you put all three, all six of those trends together and you see that it might converge into a personal financial management solution that's actually unique to you mm-hmm. or to your household because it knows it, you, you, it picks up on your habits and it helps reinforce those, helps you make better decisions. Those are just two, two, two ways to, to think about what, um, what I do in, in, in terms of looking at the future. The last thing I'll talk about really briefly is you know, security, there's there's two trends that are competing out there. One is if you're a gamer, you like the idea of having a having a real identity and then you can go into, into like World of Warcraft and create an identity and go to a different game and create another identity. So, you're, so your expectation of creating multiple simultaneous identities online um, is attractive to you, but at the same time, you still have this notion, well, gosh, I want my privacy protected. Um, today, there are 7.7 billion people on Earth, and on the Internet, there are over 30 billion identities. Wow. Some of those are designed to help people live these multiple concurrent lives through gaming. Others, quite frankly, are full of fraudsters. They're created, they're, they're synthetic identities that are stolen um, from the data breaches we hear about. Um, they're, they're sold on databases. Um, credit is created on, on these identities' behalf, sometimes for years to actually create a, 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 what appears to be a real person with real history. So there's a, there's a, you know, there's, there's a utopian and a dystopian aspect to, to, to all this. But those are the types of facets that I'll explore um, on, on the other part of my job. Wow, your job sounds so interesting. 
I don't know working. about you guys, but I think it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, so we're going to move over to an intern conversation here. So yep. what would an intern expect to do in the day-to-day -day responsibilities if they're working with you or just at Sunrise Banks? Yeah, this is great. So thanks, Isabella, for these questions because this really forced me to go off and talk to my two interns. So um, so we, in, in, in our division, we're in our second year of our intern program. Um, we... Living in the Twin Cities, we have a number of um, four-year colleges and universities um, headlined by the University of Minnesota um, and their main campus here. So last year we started off there um, and we picked a, uh, an MBA candidate to come in and work with us over the summer. And she actually had a social bent. So she spent a lot of time with, this, with the municipalities of Minneapolis and St. Paul working on some community development opportunities that the core bank was working on. This year we had... Um, we had a couple of different needs, knowing that we were actually building out a new a new offering to fintechs, and we we're still designing that and trying to figure out how we actually set that up from an from an accounting perspective and an economic perspective and a strategy and a structural perspective. So we hired two folks, um, one from the University of Minnesota, one from St. Thomas. Um, and just a couple of notes there. We started the process early, so um, we showed up at Welcome Week last last year. So we were there in August. Um, in, in advance of this one. And we showed up early and often. So we were out there um, every month supporting some sort of career day, some sort of incubator, some sort of um, school program. We felt that outreach was really important, number one, to create a presence, but number two, to get to know some of the candidates that were out there. Um, we attract a lot of people through our mission, but what we're really looking for is someone um, who could step in and not sit down and work on just the one project all summer. If you wanted that internship, we that was not us. Mm -hmm. um, so a typical day for, so basically I went back and I asked our interns, Eric and Adam, I said, all right, guys, what were you promised up front and did we deliver? Um, and they said what they were promised is they were promised variety. And yes, we had delivered. So the types of projects that we have them on are of financial planning and analysis. So um, they're both working on setting up our general ledger structure for this new division. They're um, helping us with new opportunity assessments. So we have a pipeline of fintech partners and other people who are coming to us with ideas all the time to vet. So they're getting the opportunity to help vet those ideas, help us set the process of vetting, um, help developing assessments and business cases. Um, they're conducting pricing models for these opportunities. Um, they're going throughout the organization and understanding what the organizational impact is of all of this. Now, these folks didn't have that. Um, they didn't have that background. So we were looking um, for folks who could actually kind of jump in and swim and had the appetite for for a broad range of topics. And what we did um, to assist them is the second week they were on board. We flew them down to Charlotte to join us um, at the Queen City FinTech Conference. And it was a one-day conference of venture capital firms and FinTechs and those folks that kind of married the two. So think lawyers um, that draw paperwork in that. Um, and we, we just had them for a day. It was nice, intimate, about 200 people. And they got the opportunity to talk to all of the, all of the um, players in our value chain to help us assess opportunities, which gave them, I think, a head start. Now, they came back and they gave us great feedback. They said that was definitely above and beyond and a bonus that they hadn't expected, um, but they felt that really accelerated their learning. Wow, that sounds like an amazing opportunity. Truly great. All right, so our next intern question. 
Yes, kind of going more into what you look for in an intern, like what skills and qualities do you need to see in somebody to take them on so that they can learn? Yeah, we're really deliberate about this, and that's why we, 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 we appeared early and often. Um, it boils down to three things. <clears throat> Mission focus um, was is really important. We are we are a social enterprise that happens to be a bank, clearly. Um, and so, so if you don't buy into the mission, um, we know that there are others that, that will. Um, the biggest thing, though, was just getting a sense of how comfortable they were with ambiguity, because we did not have we did not have the end product um, defined before they walked in. Yet we were asking them to help us build. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, it's still be it's still morphing as we learn more and more about our industry. And the two folks that are here have been just really great. But they have also said that the comfort with ambiguity was so critical for their success here. The other thing is just this notion of entrepreneurial um, having entrepreneurial qualities, which in my mind is just this inner confidence, um, not cockiness, but just confidence, this open mindedness. Um, a little bit of determination and creativity. Those are the things that we really look for um, uh, in our in our in our candidates, and we had a number of really solid candidates. Wow, that's really great. Well, uh, what piece of advice would you offer to an intern that is working with Sunrise that is invaluable? Yeah, I asked this to my two interns. I said, "All right, guys, <laughs> you tell me, and I'm going to give you credit." Um, and it was interesting because they both came up with pretty much the same answer. Um, Eric said, "Come with an open mind," and Adam said, "Be open to opportunities." Um, we 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 use them as resources. They are part of our team. Um, they're they're um, they're not off in the corner. They're with our they're in our team meetings every week. They hear about the issues. They hear about those things that pop up. Um, they have the opportunity to raise their hand, and if they have bandwidth, um, you know, we'll, we'll give them a portion of that and help them and help them uh, acclimate into that project. So, um, I thought that was really interesting, um, to, but it was basically that notion that for us, our, our 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 hypothesis was this notion of ambiguity dealing with that successfully is going to be critical, and it appears to be. Yeah, that's great. Well, okay, well, we're going to take a moment to acknowledge one of our other patrons so time out for just a few minutes all right artistry.io is a product customization tool for e-commerce stores that increase revenue customer trust and business efficiency artistry's robust pr product customizer allows business owners to sell personalized products in an existing e-commerce store and automate the processing of custom orders their website is artistry.io thank you artistry.io for being a patron of the intern whisper live All right, so we are back again, and we're going to have just probably a few more questions because time is really flying by for us. Um, so you wrote an article not long, long ago. Melanie is in charge of all of the research here, and so she, made really, she did some really good research here, discussing the concept of the sharing economy. Can you explain what this means, this idea is, to our listeners? Yeah, so... Um, so in, in my future studies, one of the things that dawned on me is, is as a banker, as someone who, who sits here and figures out how we make money, we loan generally against assets. So whether it's a house or a car or a boat or a motor scooter um, for personal reasons or, or against real estate. And what we've seen is we've seen this notion of, of um, 
of you know companies are coming up and, and we're seeing assets being monetized in different ways. So Airbnb allows you to monetize the time that you're not at the at the at the lake cabin in the case of Minnesota or at the or at the beach house. Um, Uber and Lyft allow you to monetize your personal vehicle um, when you're not busy using it for errands, um, but you can go off and make money. So the question that I I throw in front of uh, financial institutions to make them think is, what if access to assets trumps ownership of assets? In other words, what if I just had the access to the circular saw? Why would I ever need to buy one? If I, What if the two-car American family turns into a one-car family with a Lyft account? I agree. Those are the types of questions um, that, that really get bankers thinking because they can immediately see how their business model will not sustain themselves in the future if this trend continues. So this notion of the sharing economy is really this notion of how do we give of ourselves um, but more for monetary gain. So can I take can I take the spare time I have and stand in line um, and work for TaskRabbit? Um, um, is there is there a way that we can um, that we can monetize our talents on an individual basis? Um, you know, either in a barter system or maybe for a small fee, uh, generally by ter- in terms of the internet. So that's that notion of the sharing economy. It's that we're really giving our, of ourselves, but it's not altruistic. Altruistic. It's really for a monetary gain. Uh, task rabbits. So that sounds interesting. What is task rabbits? Sure. So if I am, uh, if I need. Uh, if I need my laundry picked up at the dry cleaner and I need uh, my birthday cake picked up, um, I but I don't have the time, I can actually pay someone to go and do that. Um, if there's tickets to the Broadway show I want um, and I don't necessarily want to stand in, in line at the box office, I can pay someone to go do that for me. Oh, my goodness. That sounds brilliant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All yeah. of a sudden, that is, like, brilliant. Yeah. Um, so how would – now, this is not a question that's on the list, but – do you work with other startups that they don't have to be in your area, right? So like I'm in Florida. No. What if I wanted to apply to Sunrise? Would I be able to get an account and all of that good stuff? Are you guys all online or? So as a, so as a retail con- customer, um, you would have startup. to live in I'm the, in the general Minneapolis-St. Paul area. But if you were a business yeah. that were looking to use us as a bank, you would actually pick up the phone and give me a call. And we would have a, a conversation around the concept. Um, I'd send you a non-disclosure, um, so we're both covered. And then we begin to talk in earnest. Um, tell me about your use case. Tell me about the market that you're looking to address. Do you have any idea how big it is? Um, you know, how many years you've been in business? How much money have you raised? Um, you know, what's your burn rate? So I tend to be a little bit of a venture capitalist as well. So a lot of the a lot of the ideas that we see come from folks that have raised maybe a hundred to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars through friends and family. They've maxed out their credit cards. They have borrowed against everything they own, um, and they're and they're spending their the the expense of their businesses. You know, ten maybe fifteen thousand a month. Well, if it's a ten thousand dollar a month um, burn rate on a twenty five a two hundred fifty thousand dollar investment, they've got twenty five months to make or break um, their product concept. So that's important for me to understand so I can help align them with partners once we understand who they have and who they need to still uh, work with in the financial services industry to get this product to market. 
Um, so that's part of my role. Wow. And that's how you would that's how you would begin to initiate a conversation with Sunrise. That sounds well. We've had I work out of an accelerator that's downtown in Orlando, and we've had somebody from Silicon Valley Bank come and speak with us. But I honestly think next time you're in Orlando, we should get you over here to Starter Studio so you can tell our members there about about Sunrise Banks. I think. Oh, we'd love to. We have showed up in work, we work spaces in the darndest places just to sit at a table and say, what do you, what, if you're looking for a bank or have any questions around financing or what a bank can help, can do to help you, we're here to answer questions. I'd love to take up, take you up on that opportunity. Yeah. Let me know when you're going to be coming to Orlando because they can set it up so it can be a day, um, a day event where you guys can come in and do a presentation. They do lunch and learn, certainly. And then they also have some people that do events in the evening. So we've had a really good turnout with um, Silicon Valley Bank. They've uh, probably had, I don't know, we've had like 25 people in the space just listening okay. to them and then follow-up appointments. So I can definitely make that happen, make the introduction. Yeah. Um, okay, I think we have time for probably one more question. So, Melanie, you want to pick the question? Yeah. Um, Let me try and find it in the list right here. Um, well, one of them is kind of going back to our conversation before. Um, what are simple, healthy financial habits people can implement into their lives? That's a really good yep. positive question. You know, um, so again, outside of the 401k, take advantage of the of the benefits that that, that your employer makes makes available to you. Um, while some of this may seem expensive, um, particularly in, in insurance, um, you know, the alternative um, can can really be catastrophic. Bankruptcy is still the number one um, reason that people declare bankruptcy, medical emergencies, um, and uh, and and so it's it you know it's it's sad when when life is going along and it throws us a curveball. I would say um, you know, but budgeting is is again probably a, 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 the awareness of knowing how your dollars come in and what you're spending it on, not to make judgments, but just to create awareness. Um, gives you gives you knowledge, and that data is something that you can then actually take and use to make more informed decisions. Um, I've been blessed with a daughter who can make a penny cry. Um, she's just the best money manager out there, and um, and 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 then I've got a son who um, who who makes okay money, and he always seems to be broke because always seems to wear a hole in his pocket. Yet he always seems to just be able to get by. Um, I don't. I don't recommend either strategy, but I do know that those those two strategies um, many people use to cope. Um, they're in their early twenties, um, but I think that that's that's the key to me is knowledge. It's just understanding where your money's going and 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 how it's coming in. Agreed. All right. Did you did you guys have any comments or anything that you wanted to be able to say? Because I know we're getting ready to wrap up here. Uh, no. Okay. So information. Yeah, it yeah. is really good information. So we want to thank Valencia College. We get to have our radio show coming out of Valencia College here on the East Campus. Thank you, Q, our station manager. We have state-of-the-art equipment here, knowledgeable staff, and amazing. I'm gonna. This is not Valencia specific, but an amazing team that's in the room with me right now. 
And so we're going to do our shout-out. So, Jonathan, you go first. Um, I would like to shout-out my family, as well as you guys for being here, and as well as our host, our guests for being here on the show with us. All right, Mel. Um, just like to thank our guests as well, and as well as our listeners currently. Yep. Uh, Eric, I'm going to let you go next. Who are your shout-outs for? Thanks, yeah, to our listeners today um, and to all of you. Thank you so much for allowing me to be on the show and to the good folks at Sunrise that gave me this opportunity to uh, to represent the bank. Yes, and so my shout-outs go to Abby and Corey. They're the silent guys in the back of the room, so thanks, thanks to them. Jonathan and Mel and the rest of the Interim Pursuit team that's distributed, and then also to you, Eric. Thanks so much for being on our show. And how can people contact us? You can go to info at internpursuit.tech. You can go to our website. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter. You can listen to us live on Facebook. Um, follow Valencia College Radio and then look for Intern Pursuit. And then you can listen to us live on mixlr.com. And as we close our show, we want to thank you, our listeners, for following and listening. Thank you. That's great music. Thank you.